Well, it's good to see you this morning. My name is Paul Funches. I am one of the pastors, elders here at Trinity Church. Uh, You've already met Jeremy. Jeremy Kuhn was the one up here. He's another one of our elders. And so if you're visiting with us, we would love to meet you, talk with you, and get to know you. We have some information uh, back there in the back at our information center. If you would like to know more about Trinity Church, please stop by there. We also have visitor cards that we would encourage you to fill out. Uh, I would love to contact you and answer any questions that you may have about our church and about what we uh, are doing by planting a church here. Uh, we are a new church plant. We are not even, we're right at about six months old, and so very much in the infancy stage still. And, uh, and we are excited about being here in Spokane Valley. And so if you'd like to know more about us, we would love to speak with you. For our church family, I just wanted to remind you that uh, we have a full summer uh, ahead of us. There are a lot, lot, lots of ministries taking place throughout our body. I sent out an email the other day uh, just highlighting some uh, possible opportunities for you to be involved with, and uh, that does not uh, summarize all that our church is doing. There's a lot going on. Uh, People are organizing all types of ministries, and so if you would like to know uh, more about uh, what we're doing this summer, please reach out by email or just talk to me. I can point you in in a direction. We have several different things going on. One thing I want to highlight is uh, this Thursday night, we're going to begin having uh, youth uh, nights at my house for, for the time being. And so if you have a student, or if you are a student, sixth grade uh, and up, we encourage you to come uh, this Thursday night at 6.30 at my house, 1804 South Davis Road. All that uh, is, uh, is something that can be communicated if you have questions uh, please let me know, and uh, we'd love to see you at 6.30. It's going to be a good time. We're going to have some fun, but mostly we're going to be talking about the sermon. Uh, what did you hear? What uh, really impacted you from the sermon? And, uh, and then we're going to do some other fun things for you if you are a student, and we'd love to have you uh, there for that. So that email, check that email, and uh, look for those opportunities Uh, One of the other things that I wanted to tell you about was our July 10th members meeting. That's our next members meeting. All members are invited to that. And that members meeting is going to be 5.30 on the 10th, but it's going to be at Terrace View Park. So we're going to have kind of a picnic, an evening picnic there at the park, accomplish our members meeting and some fellowship as well. Okay, well, let me me, uh, draw our attention now. Uh, to the Word and to Ephesians chapter 1. We are in Ephesians chapter 1 uh, for the summer. Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 14. This is where we are spending our time. Before I read, I'd like to pray again. And we've had uh, uh, quite a monumental week in our country. Uh, This week, quite a bit going on and uh, much to be thankful for. And much to still pray for in our country. And so let me lead us in prayer once again before we read God's word. Father, again we come to you just thanking you, wanting to thank you for uh, this last week. And the decision that was made by those in the Supreme Court, 
to overturn um, a decision that has led to the deaths of so many. And Lord, we, we know that our hope is not in these types of victories. We do not build our lives around these types of victories, but we are thankful that you have seen fit to intervene and potentially spare the lives of millions. I pray for state governments as they now work to um, work through the issues and the laws involved. I pray that you'd give great wisdom, that you would be merciful to leaders and work in and through them uh, to end this um, terrible reality in individual states. I pray that you would help us as your people to realize, uh, cause us to realize that although this is something to rejoice over, it is, again, not what our hope is in. I pray for uh, souls of people that unless they submit to your Son, unless they come by faith to be joined with Christ, they will spend eternity in judgment. I pray that we would see that and that we would not act and respond in anger towards those who uh, are opposing the end of abortion, but I, I pray that we would be merciful towards them and want your mercy extended towards them. Keep us from anger. Your, your righteousness has not worked in our anger. And cause us to remember that. We do pray for the rescue of the physical rescue and safety of unborn children across our nation. And we pray for the mothers and the fathers that you would bring them to yourself. And for our leaders, we lift them up to you and pray your mercy upon them. Now as we turn our hearts towards your word, I pray that you would create in us a joy, an inexpressible joy and a security. Create in us a a dependence upon you and what you have provided, your provision for us. Cause us to see today that you have withheld nothing from us but given us everything that we need. And I pray that if there is someone here and there undoubtedly is, I pray that you would cause those here who do not know your Son to have faith, give them the gift of repentance and faith in Him so that they could leave today being sure of your blessings in Christ. We pray all of these things for your glory and in your name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, please join me in standing as I read God's word. Ephesians 1 verse 3 
through 14. Again, church, we are going to be spending our summer in this text, and I encourage you to work to memorize it, whatever version it is that you want to use to memorize it. And so I I pray that you're doing that this summer. By the time we're done, we're going to have verse 3 through 14 in our hearts and minds. Listen as I read, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory." This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This morning, we begin our walk through one of the glorious passages of the New Testament. And it is only one sentence. I know in your English translations they have periods throughout, but those periods don't exist. It is one sentence. 202 words in the Greek New Testament. 32 prepositional phrases. 21 genitives, not apart from those found in the prepositional phrases. Six relative clauses and five adverbial participial clauses. Truly, this sentence is magisterial. And it is a passage that every Christian should memorize. It is a passage that every Christian should meditate upon frequently. It's a passage that you should return to over and over and over and over again. For as long as you live, you will not ever discover the depths of what Ephesians 1, 3-14 communicates. It's also a passage that you and I should be ready to speak to one another as we seek to give truth and remind each other of truth and give encouragement to one another in this journey we are on together. It is not a passage, a sentence to be merely studied or understood theologically 
but it is meant to transform you. It's meant to transform you and the way that you think about everything. Truly, the theology found in Ephesians 1, 3-14 is astounding. But it, it is theology which is meant to be turned into doxology. Understanding and truth that is meant to move you and change you, transform you in the way that you perceive all of reality. I would like to start out by highlighting for you the form and tone of this all-important passage. The Apostle Paul has given us a long and glorious sentence in the form of a Jewish, what's called a Jewish berakah. It is a song or bestowal of praise upon the name of Yahweh. As He alone, our God alone, is worthy of praise. These types of psalms or hymns or prayers, these, these blessings upon the name of Yahweh, permeate the Old Testament. They're all over the Old Testament. In fact, the, the book of Psalms, the Psalter, is framed around this type of blessing upon the name of Yahweh. Did you know the book of Psalms, this, this is something you probably already realize, the book of Psalms has five books. The book of Psalms consists of five books. And each book ends with a blessing upon the Lord, a praise to Him. Each book ends with a doxology, a praise to Yahweh. I challenge you to go through and look at the, the end of each one of those books. I'll give you the Psalms so you can go look at those. Psalm 41, Psalm 72, Psalm 89, Psalm 106. Psalm 41, Psalm 72, Psalm 89, and Psalm 106. Go look at those and read those passages. And those end, those punctuate each one of the books as you go through the Psalter, as you go through the book of Psalms. And then at the end of the book of Psalms, you have Psalm 145 to 150, which is just, just nothing but praise. I want to read for you Psalm 145. This is the beginning of that, those last few Psalms that end the entire book of Psalms. This is how it begins. Psalm 145. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. That's the tone of Psalm 145 through 150. And it is the tone of each one of those Blessings, those doxologies upon the glory or for the glory of God at the end of each one of those books. This is the tone of the entire book of Psalms. Another 
famous Berakah comes at the end of David's life. David has organized some offerings to be taken for the building of the temple after he passes on. And this is at the end of First Chronicles 29 when David is going to die and Solomon is going to take the throne. Listen to the blessing of David upon the name of the Lord. Listen to this. First Chronicles 29. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said... Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now, he says, we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. This is the Jewish Berakah, a blessing upon the name of Yahweh, bringing due praise And glory to him. It is this form that the Apostle Paul uses here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. You hear the passages there in the Old Testament? Do you hear the tone? That is the tone that Paul intends to communicate with this passage that we are dwelling on for the next several weeks. He, he doesn't intend to merely instruct us with propositional truths. But he intends to, again, move us to praise. He intends to draw the eyes of our hearts up. And out of the miry, murky muddled thinking that so plagues our lives. Isn't that true how often we are with eyes down so confused and dark in our thinking, despairing. Paul wants to draw us up and now he wants, to, he wants to bring our eyes upwards and bring to us renewed clarity again and again of who God is, what he is doing even now, what he is doing and accomplishing, and who we are in Christ. So easily we forget these realities, yet these realities are to shape us. They're to hold us. And we need them. Every one of us needs them every day. B.B. Warfield. B.B. Warfield, if you know that name, he was considered the last great theologian of Princeton. 
before Princeton Seminary, before it fell to theological liberalism. He's counted as the last great theologian there at Princeton. He said of Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, he said, this passage should never be read in church because, he said, it should always be sung. And that, that is the tone, the intention of the Apostle Paul. This passage should always be sung. It should be, in fact, the song of our hearts. And this glorious song of praise finds a complete summary in its first 22 words. And it is to the first 22 words of this long sentence that we cast our attention this morning. Here they are. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. This verse summarizes the entire praise. I want you to look first at the aim of Paul's praise here in verse 3. I want to answer the question, who is Paul giving praise to? Who, who does Paul declare praise for and invite us with him to praise And, it would be simply enough to say that our praise belongs to God. We would be right in saying that. Blessed be God. All praise belongs to Him. But, words are important, and Paul is very careful with his words. Here, as he tells us who to aim our praise at, he gives a descriptor. Just as you would in the Old Testament, and as we saw with David's praise, when he says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. Or you might find one that says, blessed be the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Paul gives us a descriptor. And he doesn't call him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, although that would be correct. He doesn't call him the God of Israel, although that would be correct as well. Look at the descriptor he gives to this God to whom all our praise belongs. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in this descriptor, as the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul gives us three important pieces of information for our benefit. For our help. First, we see that the God, the God to whom belongs our praise, He is the Father of Jesus. He is the Father of Jesus. Paul highlights the relationship between Jesus and the Father. Why is this important? Because we see throughout the Gospels, 
throughout the Gospels that it was, remember, the will of the Father that Jesus came to accomplish. He did not come in his own authority, but in the authority of the Father, with the, the, the words of the Father, accomplishing the will of the Father. That was his desire, is to obey and carry out what the Father had given him to do. And the Father was pleased with his Son. In this we see, with the Father being the Father of Jesus, that it is the Father... Notice, it's not saying that he's our Father in this passage. Not yet. It is specifically saying he is the Father of Jesus. And what is he, what is he meaning to communicate with that? The Father is the originator. He is the initiator. The Father is the designer and architect of a grand and glorious plan for the fullness of time. The Father has initiated, He has built, He has planned a a grand and glorious plan for the fullness of time that centers on His Son. From the beginning to the end, the Father has a plan. And that plan is given and carried out through His Son. Thus, the Father to the Father belongs all praise. He is, this is important, He is the source of the plan. And He is the one to whom the goal of the plan is aimed. He is the source of the plan and He is the goal of the plan. And this is what you see throughout the entire sentence. Verse 6. According to the purpose of His will. That's the Father's will. According to the purpose of His will. To the praise of His glorious grace. You see it again in verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of His will. That is again the Father's will. According to the Father's purpose. Which He set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in Him. Things in heaven and things on earth. This is the Father's plan. Then you see it again in verse 11. According to the purpose of Him. The Father, who works all things according to the counsel of His will. The Father's will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And he ends the sentence with that same phrase at the end of verse 14. To the praise of His glory. Do you see? The Father's will. He is the one who initiates the plan. He is one that builds the plan. And He is the one who receives praise for the plan. And glory. That is the whole aim of the plan of salvation in Christ. 
Why has he saved us? He has saved us to the praise of his glory. That's why we were saved. He is the Father. And we also see, as the Father of Jesus, we see then something about Jesus in this descriptor. Who is Jesus? He is the Christ. Do you see that there? How, how often do you just pass over that name, Jesus Christ? Do, do you think Christ is his last name? No, you don't think that. What does it mean to say he is Jesus Christ? What does it mean to say that he is Jesus the Christ? The Christ. Christ is the Greek equivalent of Messiah. So when it says Jesus Christ, this is, this is who he is. He is Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Jewish King who was promised to Israel, who would come and rescue them and save them. We see that Jesus, all praise belongs to God, the Father of Jesus, who is the King. This is not of small importance. We see in Psalm 2, and I could read from so many places in the Old Testament, but we see in Psalm 2 that God has set His King in Zion. He is God's King. The appointed King for all of mankind. The Lord, Yahweh, says to this King, He says, Your throne... Oh God, is forever and ever. The king's throne is forever and ever. And we see there that he is also God himself. In Psalm 110, the Lord says to the king, Sit on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is the one whom the Father has called Son. He is the Son and He is the King. We also see not only the relationship of Jesus to the Father, not only the the position of Jesus as King, we see that Paul tells us of our relationship to Jesus, to the King. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus, the King. Paul is writing to a specific group of people. A people who could truthfully call Jesus their Lord. And is it not true that this is the only group of people that could truly bring the Father praise? 
Can anyone truly bring praise and glory to God who is not found in his Son? To those who call Jesus Lord, that Paul writes and he calls them to praise the Father. I want to stop there and ask the question because it it would seem to be obvious. Is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus your Lord? It is only those who can truthfully call Jesus their Lord that can give praise to God for His salvation. There is no salvation in anyone else but Jesus Christ the Son. The Father gave His Son The Scripture tells us the Son, it was the Father's will to make the Son sin for us. He hath made Him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin? Jesus knew no sin. And yet the Father, it was the Father's will to place our sin upon the Son. And by taking our sin upon His shoulders, He experienced the death that sin demands. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus experienced the death that must be experienced for sin. But the Father raised Him up from death. He rescued Him from the death that sin brings. And in that resurrection, the Son, Jesus Christ, accomplished victory over sin and death. And you can have that victory over sin and death today, but only by believing upon the Son. For He alone is the one who has accomplished salvation for us. It can be found in no one else. I would ask you again, is He your Lord? Can you call Him your Lord today? Or are you caught in between? Are you here understanding who Jesus is and understanding the salvation that He offers, but at the same time, wanting to hold on to your sin and to your selfish ambition And to your own stubborn, rebellious way. And hoping, hoping somehow against hope that you can have both. That you can be found saved in Him and yet hold on to your sin at the same time. It doesn't work that way. Only those who come to Christ 
and are joined to Him by faith, turning from their sin and receiving Him alone as their way of salvation, making Him their Lord and Master and Savior. Is He your Lord? Or are you hoping that in that day there will be some excuse made for you? Some exception for you? It will not be so. Paul writes to those who call Jesus Lord, truthfully Lord. He is writing to those who call Jesus Lord, inviting us to praise the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus the King. Now Paul gives us the basis of our praise. As if the descriptor isn't enough on its own. I mean, just if we think about what we've just looked at, this would be enough to praise Him. This would be all we need to praise Him. He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the originator and architect, and He is the the source and end of this entire plan for the fullness of time. He is our Savior, the Father. But Paul goes on to give us more. He goes on to give us the basis for praise. Surely God is worthy of all praise as a matter of who He is. But now Paul wants us to see something. He wants us to see what God the Father has done. And this would be customary. Blessed be the name for God has done wondrous deeds. Look at the second half of this verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What has God the Father done? First, He has blessed us in Christ. He has blessed us. This communicates the grace that the Father has heaped upon us. This communicates the benefits that the Father has extended to us. Do you remember the story in the Old Testament of Isaac and Jacob and Esau? Do you remember that story? Where Esau was the older son and and Isaac was going to bless him? And Jacob worked some deceit and he came in first. Remember that story? And he, he wore the the skin of an animal, talked like his brother, and he stole the blessing away from Esau. What was that blessing about? What was going on there? When it talks about fathers of the Old Testament blessing their sons. 
when he blesses them, these aren't, this isn't just words that he's saying over them. You know, we'll do that a lot of times. We'll say, I'm going to pray a blessing over you. And it's nice, and it's good, and it's important. We should do those types of things. But as you pray the blessing, they're just words you're praying over someone. But in, in the case of Isaac to his son, he was blessing his son, but in that blessing, he was giving his son all of his possessions and his name and his authority and his place. He was bestowing upon his son all that he was giving his son his blessing. This is why this is this is why Jacob wanted it, right? He didn't want his father to just pray some words over him. No, he, he wanted all that his father had. This is why Esau comes in. Remember? Esau comes in and says, Isn't there anything left? He said, No. <laughs> I've given it all to your brother. The blessing of a father upon his son means a bestowal, a giving of his possessions and of his place, of his status as a son. Now, look again at that phrase. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. He is the Father of Jesus. Jesus receives the Father's blessing. He receives what the Father gives His his everything. But here it says, Paul brings us in and tells us this glorious reality that He has blessed us. He has given us everything in Christ. We have been joined. We looked at this last week, this reality of being in Christ, union with Christ. We have been joined with Christ. And all the spiritual life of Christ, all that is Christ's now is ours You say, I don't understand it. I know it's incredible that we have been brought in and it could be said, truly said, that God the Father has blessed us. It would almost be like we were Jacob deceiving, somehow trying to get in there and and get a blessing for ourselves that really shouldn't be ours. But no, this is the plan of the Father. This was his plan. He blessed us in Christ. Now, again, that reality of being in Christ, I didn't highlight this last week. I want to highlight it this week. I saved it for this week. When we are brought into this world, we are born into a family. Now, I was born into the Funchess family. 
My brother goes to this church. He was born into the Funches family. We can tell you good parts about that and bad parts about that. And if you know us, it's mostly bad, probably. We were brought into a family, but there's an actually, an actually bigger family that all of us are part of when we were brought into this world. My last name is different, but I'm actually born into the same family you are, and that is the family of Adam. We were born in Adam, the human race. We are all connected in Adam. And in Adam, Scripture tells us, in Adam, all die. For as by one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We are in Adam. The Father, in his Son, has accomplished something miraculous. He has taken you from the family you were born into and he has placed you in a new family. You are now in Christ. No longer in Adam, but now in Christ. As true as it is that we were born into Adam now. This is Romans 5, by the way. Now it is true that we are in Christ. As in Adam, all die. In Christ, all will live. And this, dear believer, those who call Jesus Lord, this is your identity. Do you hear me? This is your identity. If I were to ask you, hey, what's the most important thing about you? Maybe you would say, well, I, I'm a Funchess, right? Or I, I'm a Smith. Or I was born into this family or that family. Or my identity is that I, I do this as a profession, Maybe my identity is that I'm a father or a mother, or my identity is, is, is how athletic I am. I mean, we could go on and on. What is your identity? How is it that you understand yourself? How do you see yourself? What Paul tells us is that we now have a new identity and one one that should transcend all of the other possible identities we are in Christ and this is how we should think of ourselves you know how often i've talked to someone dealing with life and dealing with temptations or dealing with struggles, and they will say something like, well, you know, I, dev- I never had a father. Or I, I really didn't have a good relationship with my mother. 
And so that is why I do what I do. Or this is why I think the way I think. Well, at once, I, I want to hear that. And I want to say, yes, you, you had a father that was negligent or abusive. Or you, you had a father that wasn't there. Or a mother that was hard on you. I, I get that. But can I, can I encourage you, dear brother and sister, to not look at that identity. To not think of yourselves that way anymore. But now to think of yourself as being in Christ. And in fact, that past identity no longer is who you are. You are in the family of God. And you have a father who cares deeply about you. And has given you his blessing. Bestowed upon you everything. In fact, you have everything you need. And that leads us to the last two phrases. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. Do you see that? With every spiritual blessing. This, I believe, harkens back to the promise of the new covenant in Ezekiel 36, where he promised that he would make a people and he would give his spirit to those people. God had a people, Israel, and as he had promised Adam physical blessing, he promised his children, Israel, physical blessing. Do you remember that throughout the Old Testament? If they were obedient, if they followed his law, if they lived under his commands, he would bless them with fruit from the womb, with fruit from the vine, with abundant flocks, with health, with victory over their enemies. He would bless them physically in every way with a land, an inheritance, physical blessings. The problem was that they were sinful. And they, like Adam, being in Adam, as all of us were born to be, although they had received all the physical blessings, they spurned the physical blessings of God and preferred, rather, the curse of sin. Have you ever, have you ever sat and meditated on that? Why is it that we, even though God has given us all blessing, we would much rather have curse? This is the condition of mankind. God promises blessing and life, and we would much prefer curse and death on our own terms. But here it says that he has in Christ, blessed us with every spiritual blessing. This points to that new covenant promised in Ezekiel 36, where he would form a people and he would give them his spirit and take away that sinful tendency and inclination that we have as people and make a people in his son for his glory. And this 
is what's explained throughout the rest of the Psalm 4 through 14. Verse 4 through 14 lists out the nature of these spiritual blessings that he has given us. Accomplished by his spirit. He's given us every spiritual blessing. And then the last phrase, in heavenly places. What is he referring to there? He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I believe this has two focuses for us to meditate upon. First, this points to the fact that our security is in Christ, seated in the heavenlies, where Christ is seated in the heavenlies. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ who is in the heavens now, securing for us these present spiritual blessings. Transcendent, once again. He has secured for us everything. And they cannot be taken away. Do you, do you see the comfort and the security of that? What the Father has given us cannot be touched. It is secure in the heavenlies. No matter what we experience here on earth, we have a secure spiritual blessing and reality that can never be touched. And it also, along with this, points to the final victory over the world and over the flesh and over the great opposer, the devil himself. As Christ sits in the heavenly realms, He sits victorious over all those spiritual authorities and dominions that would seek to oppose Him. He is victorious. Which points to His final victory that will be realized one day. And we are there with Him. I think of the words in John 16. I want you to hear these words. I was thinking of this as I was meditating upon His final victory. This is right before he leaves his disciples. There's so much I could read from here, but this is right before he leaves his disciples. And he's getting getting ready to depart from them. And as you would understand, they're a little bit anxious about that. Where are you going? What's going to happen to us when you leave? Verse 29, his disciples said, Oh, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech, they said. Verse 30, now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home and will leave me alone. But listen to what he says. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And then verse 33 is what I wanted you to hear. I have said these things to you. Listen to this. I have said these things to you that in me 
you may have peace. They are anxious at his leaving. And he says, these things I've said to you, he's comforting them. I've said to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Do you hear that language? I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And this is the reality that each one of us as believers in Jesus Christ we possess. Each one of us. We have been blessed by the Father in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Not not physical land, not physical wealth, not physical properties and possessions. No, something far greater. Something that has been secured for us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus where he sits on the right hand of the Father and he has declared final victory over all. And we are in him. He has overcome the world. I want to encourage you then with these simple applications. First, I I want to encourage you to believe the truth of Ephesians 1, 3-14. Believe the truth by faith. You may have known the truth. You may have heard the truth. Maybe today you are hearing for the first time that you, by being a believer in Jesus Christ, have been secured in Him, that you, you have a new identity in Him. I want you to believe this truth. This is your new identity. You have been given every spiritual blessing by His own Spirit, secured in the heavenly places for all of time. This is what you have. This is who you are. Stop believing lies about yourself. Stop believing what people say in the world. This this is really important. This is why pastors constantly say, turn off social media. Turn off Facebook that continually tell you lies about what meaning is. Because that is not meaning. Continually tells you what beauty is. Continually tells you what happiness is. I was thinking this yesterday. Jerry and I were walking up the mountain. I think it was Jerry and I talking. Spent a long time walking up the mountain yesterday with Jerry. But I, I, it occurred to me as I was talking with Jerry. It's like, you know, every time I go watch a movie. I'm not going to say movies are sinful. Get, get me here. Every time I go watch a movie, do you know what's happening? I am allowing someone else to put before me a version of happiness And a version of reality that if I am not careful, I will begin to buy into. And I will begin to believe. And I will think I need to have this or that in order to be fulfilled and happy. That's not the truth. Oh, beloved, be careful what you are putting, as the old children's song says, in your eyes and in your ears. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. 
Because the world wants to convince you of a reality that is not true. Your eyes need to be back on Ephesians 1, 3-14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That is reality. Believe it. Embrace it. And work against the lies that bombard you. Confront them. That is not true, what I'm seeing and hearing right now. Take ownership of your identity in Christ. Possess it. Believe it. Act upon it. Some of you are so discouraged by sin that continually beats you. You're defeated by it. Can I just encourage you? Your Savior has already defeated sin. You don't have to be under that sin. You don't have to be defeated by it. There is nothing in your life that determines you have to be defeated by that sin. Nothing. Because you have a new identity in Christ. Possess it. Embrace it. If you're going to do that, you need to focus on this truth. I got a little preachy there and I'm sorry. I really am. I'm not trying to just... But we, we're going to have to focus on this truth. If we're going to believe it, we're going to have to focus on it, which means we're going to have to stop focusing on some other things. And we're going to have to purposely focus on this. It, it was incredible. As I was, uh, as I was reading and studying, in the first century, uh, there were what were known as the 18 benedictions for all Jewish people. They, they prayed three times a day. They prayed morning, noon, and night. And they prayed, as part of what they did, they prayed these 18 benedictions, which is related to what we're, the form that we're looking at here, the benedictions. And in each one of these 18 benedictions, there was the phrase, blessed are you, Lord. So morning, noon, and night, they were blessing the name of Yahweh. There's a structure around their life to remind them of who their God was. I thought, what, what, what would happen if we, I'm not setting a rule for you, I'm not saying you have to do this if you're going to be a good Christian, that's not what I'm saying, okay? But I'm saying, what, what would happen if that's how we structured our life? What, what would happen if we took Ephesians 1, 3-14, and we said, you know what? Morning, noon, and night. I, I'm, gonna, I'm going to memorize this, I'm going to read this, I'm going to meditate on it, for just a little bit of time to remind myself again of what is true. Because you know what? In the morning when I get up, my first thoughts aren't heavenly. My first thoughts aren't about my identity in Christ. My first thoughts when I get up in the morning are about the challenges of the day, the tiredness of my body, the really aging image that's looking at me in the mirror, the sadness Maybe despair, that's what I wake up with in the morning. So what do I need? I need to put my eyes again on what's true. But you know what happens? As it does to you, I know it does. By noon, guess what? I forgot what I remembered in the morning. And now at noon, I need to be reminded again. I've had a couple conversations between the morning, and, and it's not always smooth with my wife, or it, it's, it's difficult to get through the day, and I need to remember again what is true. 
And then in the evening, right, as you sit and you reflect upon the day and you may be discouraged, despairing, you have to remind yourself again what is true. What if, what if we purpose to do that and have that as a regular rhythm instead of picking up our phones or turning on the screen or listening to the podcasts that aren't necessarily helpful? Just turn our attention to God's word and let the Apostle Paul bring our eyes upwards again. Cause us to remember what's true. As an extension of that, I just want to ask the question, what type of blessings, what type of blessings do you covet in your life? What type of blessings do you value? Do you measure God's favor by? You know how many times I I walk around the city or go about my day and somebody will see my family and they'll look at me and say, you are a blessed man. They'll see my wife and kids and say, you are a blessed man. And my response is, thank you, thank you. I I know I'm so thankful for my wife and my kids. But, But you know what? The fact that I have a wife whom I love and she loves me and the fact that I have kids, that's not why I'm blessed. Did you know that? I mean, that's a blessing. Absolutely. Children are a heritage from the Lord. They're a blessing. But that is not the definition of my blessing. And I'm thankful it's not. Because all of that can be taken away in an instant. The blessings that I have are in Christ secured forever. What is it that you're seeking after? What kind of blessings do you covet and value? What, what kind of blessings do you use to measure God's favor upon your life? God must not be happy with me because he hasn't given me such and such of thing or desire. What do you pray for? What do you spend your energies praying for? What kind of blessings? Do you spend more time praying for physical blessings? It's not wrong to pray for physical blessings, physical health, physical gifts and family and all these things that are so good. It's not wrong to pray for those things. But, but how much energy do we spend on physical Instead of praying, God, help me realize what I already have. So you see, often the things that we see as blessing, get this, the things that we often see as blessing could be the very things keeping us from seeing true blessing. The things that we find our security in could actually indeed be keeping us from seeing what our security is truly in. The things that we long after could be keeping our eyes off of what we already have. How would you answer the question? I would be happy if, I would be satisfied if, how would you answer that? What would you fill the blank in with? I would be satisfied if I had what? I want to encourage you once again, you have everything that you could ever want. He has not withheld anything from you. And this is your reality. As our understanding and treasuring and embracing of the truths found here in Ephesians 1 through 3, 3 through 14, as our understanding and treasuring and embracing of these truths go, so will go our contentment as we live on this earth. Are you contented in Christ? Or are you seeking 
for something else? Are you contented even in difficulty and true suffering? Are you contented with material possessions or are you overtaken with material concerns and anxieties? And I know I, I'm talking to so many different people here this morning. who are experiencing pain and difficulty. Thinking about several of you, thinking about chronic health issues, thinking about marriages that are ending or that are very hard. Thinking about those who are single having to watch others have families and you want a family. That's good. It's good to want a family. And my heart breaks for that. Those who are dealing with children that have special difficulties and needs and there's no end in sight to that. Guys worried about their jobs and their incomes looking around in our country, seeing what's, what's going to happen. I would just encourage you again to look at what you have been given in Christ. We live here on this earth with much pain and turmoil and difficulty and heartbreak It is, if we sit and just contemplate this life, it is enough to drive you to despair. That's why we need to look up. Look at the truth. I love that song that starts, What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. Do you you see that? God has not withheld anything from you. He has given you everything in His Son, Jesus. And it is as we understand and embrace, grasp that truth, that we will be able to endure here on this earth as we wait for glory. As we look to Him. That song goes on to the, the chorus, To This I Hold. When I sing that song, I always put my hand in the air and I always, I always act like I'm grabbing something. But that helps my mind. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. Right? That's, that's what we hold on to. Father, we thank you for this word in Ephesians 1. I pray that we would Make this our daily food. That our hearts would overflow with gratitude, truly. And that you would cause us to endure. By the truth that you've given to us here. I pray for every soul here. That you would keep us stayed upon your son, Jesus Christ. That you would cause us to see 
and understand what we have. And for those who are not in Christ, I pray that they would see the hopelessness of their state apart from Jesus. They cannot gain the benefits they seek to gain apart from being found in Christ. And I pray that You would make their sin and their self-dependence so abhorrent in their sight, even now, that they would turn and place their faith in Christ and what You have done in and through Him, finding their salvation and security in Him alone. We pray for you to be glorified in our lives, through our lives. Believing, Jesus, that you have truly overcome the world. Having peace in our hearts. Taking heart. Because you've overcome the world. We pray this in your name.